So the first reading begins in um, Genesis 47, verse 28. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favour in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, Carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully 
the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow. Chapter 49, beginning at 29. Then he gave them these instructions. I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Chapter 50, starting at 22. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt.
Good morning. It's lovely to see you all, and let me add my welcome as well. It's great to um, to have visitors and regulars alike. Um, fantastic to have you here. I hope as you're um, hearing those um, readings read, you were able to realise that Jacob and Israel are the same person. Um, if you hadn't realised that, you might be quite confused who's this third person. But sometimes, particularly when it's talking about the inheritance and the future and so on, sometimes it uses that name Israel, which of course is where the nation of Israel gets its name from. Uh, also, um, I think it would actually be good to have your Bibles open in this. There's a chapter that we skipped over that I actually do want to spend a little bit of time looking at. Um, and uh, just because we're sort of bouncing around a little bit can be helpful. Um, once again, I've given you a scintillating outline. Uh, basically, all I'm going to tell you now is there will be three points. Uh, and I'll tell you what they are as we go. Uh, also, just before we kick off, last week we looked at the tricky topic of forgiveness. Uh, I understand that it got quite a few of us thinking and reflecting, um, taking seriously that challenge, and my prayer is that the Spirit will have been uh, you know, pressing on our consciences and nudging us. It is a hard process, especially if the person that you are seeking to forgive is not seeking your forgiveness or not even admitting they've done anything wrong. So do pr please... Um, uh, if you're struggling in this area, share it with a trusted brother or sister and pray together and listen to each other, patiently wait on God and pray some more. Um, one thing I did want to make, be very clear about, though, uh, if you are being mistreated by someone, uh, please don't struggle on alone, even if there is pressure on you to keep silent. I mentioned last week, don't gossip or broadcast your troubles because sometimes that can just be a respectable way of um, taking revenge. But that's not the same as disclosing mistreatment to someone you trust. A trustworthy, wise friend can not only pray for you, but help you to understand what's happening and help you to think through whether there are particular steps. Let's carry each other's burdens, eh? Let me begin with prayer. Our Father, as we look at these final chapters of Genesis, please guide our minds and hearts, help us to understand, but particularly help us uh, to rejoice and to praise you and to thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been using this word blessing a lot over this series in the life of Joseph. But what is blessing? The word gets used in all sorts of ways. Even non-Christians can say they've lived a blessed life. And it's a slightly stronger word than the word fortunate. Uh, fortunate sounds a little bit like good luck, but blessing is that sense of well-being, but it's got some kind of spiritual flavor, some sort of spiritual origin to your well-being, at least as, as our society sees it. My former church used to make the news regularly. And uh, it was long before I got there. Uh, they used to run a service called the Blessing of the Pets. Did you ever see this on TV? Yeah, right. So um, the place would be packed. There'd be this line of people, you know, filing down the, 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 um, the footpath with their dogs and cats and rabbits and guinea pigs in the works. And uh, in they'd file. And the place would be packed. And the idea was to pray for God's blessing on people's household animals. It was all very cute and heartwarming and... Uh, you know, animals in the church, how unusual and very special for the animal lovers. But it was also a little bit tragic. 
because you know here you've got all these crowds perhaps not realizing that what they needed to be praying for was God's blessing on themselves we talk about counting your blessings blessings in disguise God bless this home God bless grandma but what is blessing Keep that question in mind as we look today at these last few chapters of Genesis. You've noticed uh, in these readings that Jacob or Israel reaches the end of his life and then so does Joseph at the very end. It sounds like the end of a happy fairy tale in some ways, doesn't it? You know, they all lived happily ever after until they died. Uh, but that was okay because they died well. And that was one of the really significant points that it's trying to make. There's no unfinished business for these guys. They're entrusting themselves to God and they have a dignified passing and dignified burials. But there's more going on than this, as I'm sure you realise. Unlike the end of a fairy tale, where you know what happens in fairy tales is that all of the difficulties kind of get resolved. Uh, so they can just get on with living blissfully, right? Unlike that, Genesis ends by looking forward to an even greater story. The big story is actually still to come. So we've seen this amazing story in Genesis, the, the you know, multitudes of people saved from starvation. It's a pretty amazing set of miracles, you'd have to say. But most of the people of the day would have had no idea that these were miracles, anything supernatural going on. It's only because of the Bible that we knew about the dreams. And the dreams really were the key to all of this unfolding as the will of God and shows that it's a saving act of God. Uh, but what was to come next in the book of Exodus was a series of mighty acts of God that no one could deny, not God's people and not God's enemies, because there would be this constant and regular fronting up to Pharaoh by Moses, a different Pharaoh, obviously. This is hundreds of years later. And what Moses will be saying is, these are God's people, let them go. And Pharaoh would say, no. And then what happened? God would devastate Egypt through 10 curses, plagues. And then he would tear loose the chains that bound his people to Egypt and he would blow apart the sea to allow his people to escape in a most unusual way from Egypt. And then he'd hurl back the sea to where it was to destroy the mighty Egyptian army. And that would be the act of salvation that Israelites would be talking about for thousands of years, even to the present day. That is the big redemption moment for Israel. And the story of Joseph and Jacob is pointing us forward to that story. And then, as we'll see, even further forward. So with that big picture in mind, let's look at the detail here in these last chapters. How does it set it all up? At the end of last week's reading, Jacob and all of his family were on the way to Egypt. There's then this wonderful reunion of father and son that we didn't read as Joseph had jumped on his chariot and he'd torn off to Goshen and he'd met the father who had thought he was dead. And the writer tells us 
In 46, verse 29, as soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. You can imagine it. All of this stuff that's happened and this this reunion, this joy and this sense of fulfillment, the tears of joy, the tears of restoration, of deep healing. And Jacob says, now that my eyes have seen you, I can die in peace. We didn't cover those verses. But it sounds a little bit like what the old man Simeon was to say in Luke's gospel many centuries later when he saw the baby Jesus. Simeon said, now, Lord, you can dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. However, as we heard in our reading today, Jacob lives on for another 17 years after this. Even though he may be ready to meet God, he thinks, well, God's not ready for him yet. But the time does eventually draw near for him to die. He becomes sick and the first person he calls on is Joseph. And you know what's on Jacob's mind at this moment as he gets to the very end? What's on his mind is blessing. There is unfinished blessing business. He's got to put his affairs in order. And there are three matters, each relating to God's blessing, three matters that he needs to, be, to, he needs to sort out. And those will be our three points. First, there is the matter of belonging. Jacob has a problem. Here he is in Egypt. It's all great news, yes, And yet Egypt is not the promised land. It's not the land of blessing. He can't be buried here because he doesn't belong here. And yet, God, same God who gave him the blessing, God has told him in a dream, don't fear going to Egypt because it's there in Egypt that I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I will surely bring you back to Canaan. And so what would Jacob do? He makes Joseph swear that after he had died, Joseph would carry him up to Canaan in anticipation of all his descendants being returned at some point, but carry him back to Canaan to be buried with his father's Isaac and his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. Incidentally, a little later on, Joseph has a similar conversation. He makes his brothers swear the same sort of oath, in his case, to bring his bones up to Canaan because he would be initially buried in Egypt. And, of course, when the Exodus happens, one of the things that Moses takes with him as he leaves Egypt, I think it's chapter 13 of Exodus, uh, are the bones of Joseph. What a funny package to remember. Oh, have you got the bones of Joseph, you know? Where are they? <laughs> didn't, you re- didn't you dig them up? Well, I, I don't know how this all happened. Obviously nothing like that. It, it would act, they'd actually have to wait till the end of the book of Joshua until they'd con- conquered the land before they would actually rebury Joseph's bones. Now, what's the big deal with bones and burials, for heaven's sake? It's a bit morbid, isn't it? I hope the kids are enjoying this. 
Well, these were acts of faith. Faith in the blessing of God. They don't know how God is going to bring and fulfill the promise of blessing, but they do know that it will be in Canaan. It'll have something to do with Canaan. And the only problem is at the moment Canaan is filled with Canaanites and there's no sign of the Canaanites releasing Canaan to them. And yet Jacob and Joseph know where they belong. And so what about you? It's a good lesson for us, isn't it, when we find it hard to see anything in this world or in our lives that looks like blessing. Where is my blessing as I look at the hardship or the troubles that I'm facing? But we do know where we belong. We are citizens of heaven, as Paul puts it. Our promised land is there. It's waiting for us. Don't get too comfortable in Egypt, brothers and sisters. Don't get too comfortable in Australia. Don't get too comfortable in Victor on the south coast. It's beautiful, but this is not the promised land. Don't get too comfortable in your house. This is not your home. So firstly is that matter of belonging that Joseph and Jacob uh, attend to. Second, for Jacob particularly, there is this matter of inheritance, the matter of inheritance. Now, if you have property and possessions, then you may, maybe you've done up a will, maybe you should do up a will, that's how we do it these days. In your will, you can express your intention for who gets to inherit what when you die. And usually it's, you know, it's the big ticket items that are usually the most important. Who gets the farm? Uh, though these days, you know, we just tend to sell everything and divide, the, divide up the proceeds. On the other hand, if your big ticket item is the blessing of God, well, that shines an interesting light on it, doesn't it? what you're going to pass on to the next generation because God has given it to you and is wanting you to pass it on, well, it's going to have much bigger implications than just you know, getting rich and hoping that your kids will be able to manage. Much, much bigger. So what would happen to the blessing as it was passed on from Jacob? In a moment, uh, we'll look briefly at chapter 49, which we skipped over in our readings, where Jacob will stand up in front of all of his sons, his 12 sons, and he'd pronounce a range of blessings. But there will be a problem with one of them in particular. Well, it's actually quite a number of problems, as we'll see. But the a real problem is with the firstborn, with Reuben. Some things need to be sorted out before Jacob can bless the 12. We didn't look at this, but way back in Genesis chapter 35... Joseph starts in 37. So before that, there is a single verse that recounts a terrible deed by Reuben. He has had inappropriate relations with his stepmom, Bilhah. The eldest son is supposed to have a birthright. And what that birthright does is entitles him to a double portion. He gets twice as much as all of his brothers when the inheritance is distributed but Jacob is going to disavow him of that privilege because of what he's done 
And so when we get to the blessings in chapter 49, Jacob is going to say this to his firstborn son, Reuben. This is striking. This is the beginning, verse 3, I think it is. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honour, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch and defiled it. It's a bit of an anti-blessing in some ways, more like a curse, actually. He would still receive his portion. Reuben would still have their place in the promised land in due course, but it wouldn't be his double portion. So this then actually, although it comes after the section with Manasseh and Ephraim, it actually helps us to understand what's going on with the Ephraim and and Manasseh uh, issue in chapter 48. They are the two sons of Joseph that he has had thus far. And as we see in chapter 48, verses 5 to 6, Jacob now adopts them as his own sons. He's adopted his grandsons as his sons. Interesting. Verse 5 says, 48, Now then, Joseph, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I, Jacob, came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory that those other children inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of these, their brothers, these two, Ephraim and Manasseh. So it's funny, isn't it? Is Jacob pinching Joseph's sons for himself? As if he hasn't got enough, he's already got 12. Not at all. He is giving Joseph and his tribe the double portion that would have gone to Reuben. Ordinarily, all of Joseph's sons, just like all of the other sons of Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and so on, all of Joseph's sons would have had to share out one-twelfth of the land. But now Joseph will share two-twelfths of the land because he's got two sons who are now part of this. This is getting technical. And you may be counting and thinking, how is it 13? Is it 12? Is it 14? Um, Levi, the third son, would not actually receive any land because his tribes would be the priests in Israel. That would be a special role given to them. Uh, so the land, and Joseph himself doesn't get a, a portion. His portion goes to his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So the land would be divided into 12 parts, not 13. Um, Joseph has been doubly honoured by this, what I'm calling a pre-blessing blessing of his two sons. And interestingly, against the normal practice, Jacob actually crosses his arms as he's blessing Ephraim and Manasseh. What's going on there? Did you follow all of that? You know, somebody put this on, on Joseph's left side, so it's on Jacob's right side, and it's, it's all being very carefully structured. This is a ceremony that's going on. And uh, what he was effectively doing was giving the younger son, so he's been lined up with the older son next to his right hand here, because the right hand is where the primary blessing comes, but he's giving the younger son the primary blessing. That, should go, that would ordinarily go to the elder with his right hand. And that, of course, is what has happened all the way through Genesis. It's, a, it's an extraordinary pattern. Isaac was not Abraham's eldest son. Ishmael was. And uh, uh, Jacob was not Isaac's eldest son. Esau was. 
It's a little repeated reminder. You, you might think, okay, you're thinking, well, what on earth is all this? How much detail are we going to get into today? But it is a little reminder to us that God is not obliged to benefit the privileged. God benefits whomever he chooses. And in fact, he raises up the poor, the ones who have been thrown, cast down. God is not obliged to look after the privileged. Um, a little bit later on in the, in the Old Testament, in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1, this is hundreds of years later, uh, it spells all of this out for us. Reuben was the firstborn of Israel, but when he defiled his father's bed, his rights as firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel, so he could not be listed in the genealogical record in accordance with his birthright. And though Judah, different son now, was the strongest of his brothers and a ruler came from him, the rights of the firstborn belonged to Joseph. Now, I don't know how interesting you find all the genealogical detail, but clearly it's important in the text. In many ways, the inheritance of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is the big issue of Genesis. That's the whole concern here. What's going to happen to that blessing in chapter 12 to Abraham? And you know, it's not irrelevant to us at all. Inheritance is a very, very big issue for Christians. If you uh, look up a Bible, look for, the, look for the words inheritance or the words heir, it'll pop up continually in the New Testament. We are called co-heirs with Christ. We inherit with Christ. That's a big New Testament theme. This is how Paul describes it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So just as we need to remember where we belong, that we are citizens of heaven, we also need to remember that we share in the inheritance of Christ, the blessing of Abraham that ultimately comes to Christ, as we'll see. If you are in Christ, and that's what it is to be a Christian, that is what it is to have faith, if you are in Christ, then it has come to you too. This blessing that's going on here in Genesis is yours, your personal you are personally uh, a, benef a beneficiary of that blessing. And so Abraham, the father of blessing, is your father too, by faith. Thirdly, the matter of future hope. After blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph, sorry, Jacob brings together all his 12 sons in another solemn ceremony, and this is chapter 49. Uh, we've already looked at a little bit of it. Just a few quick points. Not all of the sons get a great word from their father. We've already heard what he said to Reuben. But then also Simeon and Levi are rebuked in their so-called blessings, uh, rebuked for their violence. 
And if you want to read about their violence, go to Genesis 34. Particularly uncomfortable reading, particularly for the gentleman. That'll make you want to go and read it, won't it? And, he, and when you read it, look at what Jacob says uh, about them. And it won't surprise us that as he goes through uh, all of these blessings, you know, some of them are going to be close to the coast and they're going to have ships coming and some of them are going to be a donkey and one of them is going to be a, you know, there's all sorts of interesting details, but a few of them stand out. When he gets to Joseph, it's no surprise that his pronouncement of blessing to Joseph is a wonderful, rich expression of the beauty of God's blessing on this his second youngest son. And he calls him the prince among his brothers. Joseph, the prince among his brothers. And you know he's not just referring to his Egyptian status there, but his status in Israel. But of all the inheritance blessings in Genesis 49, the most intriguing and hope-filled for me are the words said to Judah. Judah, the fourth son. Now, over the last few weeks, we have followed Judah's transformation. We saw, you know, really, he was at the low ebb in chapters 37 and 38, and culminating then in his self-sacrificial love for his father, in begging to be a stand-in for Benjamin. Benjamin had been accused of stealing the silver cup. Judah stands in for that or begs that he might. And it turns out that God has an extraordinary future for the descendants of Judah. Let me read you verses 8 to 12 from chapter 49. Jacob turns to Judah and says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Wow. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from, beneath, from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Yes, the great King David would be born of the line of Judah. But I'm sure many of you have already spotted the references to King David's greater son, King David's greater descendant, Jesus. There are so many details. We could have preached a whole sermon just on this passage. We don't have time to discuss them all. But, but Jesus would be referred to as the Lion of Judah. He would be the one to demand the obedience of the nations. He would be the one who would tether his donkey as he arrived in the city of Jerusalem to reveal his glory at the cross. He would be the one before whom the sons of Israel would ultimately bow. 
You see, there's more than just the exodus on view here at the end of Genesis. Whether the patriarch Jacob is aware of this or not, he is laying out a red carpet for King Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. Right back at chapter 12 of Genesis, where God first speaks to Abraham and speaks the blessing, he, he, it included these words. This is Genesis 12, 2 and 3. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It turns out there's no one in the history of Abraham's descendants who fulfills these blessing words better than Jesus. We could trace the stories of the heroes of faith throughout the Old Testament. We could trace the rise and the fall of the kings in Israel. And at every point, we'd come up short. None of the heroes, none of the prophets, none of the kings could fulfill God's plan to bless the world through Israel like Jesus has. All people on earth will be, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Jesus. So we, we return then to the initial question, what is blessing? And although this word appears over and over in Genesis, it is fulfilled and perfected in Jesus. It is through him that God blesses the people of the earth. Sure, there are plenty of material blessings that we have through the provision of sunshine and rain and friendship and family and so on. And, you know, these, these certainly are aspects of God's blessing and they are certainly on view in the Old Testament, particularly where what fruitfulness and blessing often meant was agricultural fruitfulness or family fruitfulness. That, that very much was in that period the expression of blessing. But they were only ever signposts of a greater spiritual blessing. See, ultimately Canaan is replaced by heaven as the, the location of, our, of the promised land. And ultimately our inheritance is the inheritance of Christ. And ultimately our future is tied up entirely with him. The spiritual blessing is the issue for us. Because the human spirit is our problem. The brokenness of our hearts is a spiritual problem. And the twistedness of our desires is a spiritual problem. And the faultiness of our wills is a spiritual problem. And it is first and foremost the spiritual blessings that we receive to deal with our paramount spiritual problems. And that is what Christ brings us. And so here's the key point of the sermon. Christ is the only source of spiritual blessing. 
you know, you might think, well, there's, there's, there's spiritual improvement, isn't there? There's spiritual well-being. Certainly, if you stepped outside these walls and started talking about the whole idea of spiritual blessing, you know, people would have a million different views of it. But when we look at Christ and the, how central he is to the fulfilling of God's promises for blessing, every other attempt at spiritual improvement or spiritual well-being is either skin deep or temporary or both. Now, this is exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 1, verse 3. Steve alluded to it earlier. Praise be, Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you're in Christ... You lack no spiritual blessing. That's what that verse is saying. There is no spiritual blessing outside of the blessings that you have in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing that you could possibly have. It's in a different category, folks. If you're in Christ, you embody, we embody, the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. If you're in Christ, we, our future is secure because the word of God never fails. So this isn't just interesting history. This is the prehistory of the gospel that we cling to. The flip side of this is stop seeking blessing independently of Christ. Stop praying for blessing that doesn't involve Christ. Stop underestimating what you have in Christ. What does God bless this house mean? You know, I don't know if you've got one of those little tags in your house. What does it mean? Well, it means God used this house for the proclamation of Christ. For evangelism. That's your evangelism label if you've got that in your house. What does live a blessed life mean? Well, it means God unite me to Christ and give me all the benefits that come from that. What does God bless grandma mean? Or what does God bless Johnny and, and Sue and the rest of the family members? What does that mean? It means God show them Christ and give them the fullness of spiritual blessings that is available to her in Christ. And if it doesn't mean those things, then I, you know, I think actually let's, let's change our prayers so that they do mean those things or find a different language to use other than the language of blessing. Now, okay, maybe, maybe grandma has cancer and you, you want to pray for that. That's great. Um, but pray that the Lord would heal her from cancer but what she really needs, even more than healing from cancer, is God's blessing. God bless grandma. If she doesn't know Christ, that's who she needs, especially if she has cancer. God, show her Christ. Well, let's not downplay blessing by constantly linking it to wealth and health 
and happiness. Let's not uncouple blessing from its moorings in Christ. Let's not underestimate blessing because Christ is God's vision for this world and Christ is your hope and your future and it's your citizenship. He is your inheritance. Blessing is good news, brothers and sisters. And that's what this book of Genesis is ultimately pointing to. And to finish, I would like to read the words that Jacob said about Christ without even realising it. The scepter will never depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he who, to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your promise of blessing and we thank you for your fulfilment of your promise of blessing in Jesus. And we thank you that we have uh, Christ because of your spirit who connects us to him. We thank you that we have citizenship in heaven. We thank you that his inheritance is our inheritance. We thank you that our future is secure. Father, give us a heart to um, be oriented around this blessing this glorious Christ, the King of Kings, the fulfilment of all history. Give us courage, give us confidence, give us joy as we reflect on our Saviour and Lord Jesus. Amen.